Hello, friend. Welcome back to another episode of the Curious Neuron Podcast. My name is Cindy and I am your host. I'm a mom of three and I have a doctor degree in neuroscience. I try to bring you information that will help you not only in your parenting journey, but will help you personally as well. So it's not just with your child, but a huge part of parenting is with ourselves and we need to work on ourselves and under understand ourselves if we want to parent our child the way that we envision. Today is another one of those uncomfortable yet necessary conversations. And I know that I had a lot um, this season so far. There, there aren't any more coming up, but this I wanted to put them all now because the holidays are coming and we need, we need to be aware of who our children are with, who do, who do they feel safe with, listening to them if they don't feel safe with somebody, and looking at certain signs of something possibly happening in their life. You'll learn all about that in the podcast episode. Today is all about how to protect our children from sexual predators. So I do want to put out a note that if you're not comfortable with this conversation to end the podcast now, um, or to have somebody else listen to it for you, a partner, a friend, and maybe have the discussion or give you the highlights, because I'm having this conversation conversation for a reason. There was um, a newspaper article that ran here in Montreal, uh, not a newspaper actually, it was on the news, sorry. And um, I'll talk all about it with my interview, during my interview with Janine. But when I saw this, I reached out to Janine right away. She is the author of several kids' books, amazing books that allow us to have these um, conversations that we might not be comfortable with. She does it for you. And I have this, these books in my home and they're amazing and they use the right wording and the right, um, they're just so developmentally appropriate. They're perfect for our kids that are very young. We need to have the conversation around sexual predators with our kids before it happens. We need to have it in a way that is appropriate. We don't want to scare them, obviously. That is why her books are amazing. I'm going to put the links to some of her books on um, uh, in the show notes, but they'll also be, you can Google her name and put it in Amazon, or like she said in the interview, you can reach out to her website. I will put that link in the show notes as well, so that you can buy the books directly from her um, website if you are in Australia. But all this to say, we do need to have this conversation where we have to have it because not only is it happening, but it's it's happening everywhere in daycares and schools. We, we, there's the internet and all of that. And again, it's not that we have to be so afraid of it, but we just have to be aware that it is happening. Um, and we have to protect our children from sexual predators. So I don't want to delay this episode anymore. I just want to thank the Tannenbaum Open Science Institute for supporting the Curious Neuron podcast. And I want to thank you, the listener. This is the end of the year for us. Um, halfway through season three, or maybe not halfway, I don't know. Anyways, we're in season four now, actually. Um, and I do want to thank Heather, Domenico, Lisa, Lindsay, Liliane, um, Sa Sahar, and Suzanne for taking the time to rate the podcast and sending me an email. Whenever you write to me, I don't just send you the PDF. I send you a little note and I, I thank you and I want to know what do you want to listen to? What's important for you in this podcast? How can we make this stand out? How can we, how do I make you share this with a friend? If you can give me one holiday gift, um, it is to share this podcast with friends, send the link, post about it on Instagram, social media, Facebook, tell people about it, tag me on Twitter, wherever you are, um, because I do want to get the word out. I want to try to get 
more people to listen to this podcast and and um you know if if you have a moment as well you can rate and review the podcast and send me an email at info at um let me know that you rated it and i will send you a free pdf called meltdown mountain and if you go on the website and you don't want meltdown mountain and you're on kirsten.com you click on um, workshops at the top there are pdfs and you're like you know i don't want meltdown mountain i want the music pdf or i want the pdf about potty training just let me know i'll send you that one uh, instead uh with with absolute pleasure. So please rate and review the podcast. You can do that on Spotify. You can rate it there. And on iTunes, you can rate it and leave a review. And you can always listen to the podcast on Amazon Music as well. And we were featured this week, so I'm really happy that we're on their, um, I forget what the list is called, but Hidden Gems, that's what it was called. Um, so thank you to Amazon um, uh, Music for highlighting the Kirsten podcast. I will see you on the other side. Please don't forget to, to um, follow us on Instagram as well, curious at um, sorry, curious underscore neuron, and to follow our YouTube video, this um, our YouTube channel. This video will be up on our channel as well. See you on the other side. Hi, Janine. Welcome back to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me, Cindy. It's so lovely to see you again. It's lovely to see you too. <laughs> and you know, I, I there was a news um, paper article that came out, and I reached out to you right away because I felt that it was important for us to have this conversation. For those of you who haven't heard Janine speak here on the podcast yet, this is her second time, and I will I will put the first episode in the show notes. But now we've spoken about how to um, help our children understand their body boundaries and consent, and having these words that will help them. Um, what do you call the words? I'm, I'm forgetting now the safe the, words yes. or the five body safety rules. We went five body safety rules. Thank you. Yeah. Rules. So yeah. what we want to do today is highlight the fact that Montreal just posted that, you know, every, I think it was like every two weeks they get, um, uh, you know, uh, from the daycares, there's somebody who will uh, report uh, an abuse case or an abuse situation, child abuse situation. And we do need to talk about this. You know, when I posted this on Instagram, the first reaction that parents had was, this can't be possible. How can this be happening in daycares where we're getting abuse reports every other week? If Aren't they going through... Um, you know, uh, police checks, but you and I were talking before and this is not as uncommon as we think. No, absolutely not. I mean, I'm in Australia and people who can work with children simply need a police check. So it could be an offender who just never been caught. So it's so easy to work with children. And, and as I said to you before, particularly with kids who are disabled, um, there are a lot of carers coming and going. Um, it's quite a sort of a, an industry where there is a lot of changes happening amongst um, people working with kids and it's just so easy to get that job and not have any consent or body safety training, not even knowing how to talk to children or around their body and their body boundary and asking for consent. So I can imagine that this is, this is quite um, usual also in Canada. We have here in Montreal two different kinds of daycares or types of daycares. Okay. Some are home daycares mm -hmm. and some are daycares that are run by the government. So the larger daycares where there are educators that have gone through, well, all the educators have to have gone through some mm -hmm. training, but 
it's not in a home environment. And I had read in the article that it seems to be higher in the home environments. It, it reminded me of the book that I read by Dr. Bruce Perry called The Boy Who Was Raised as a Dog. And it opens up um, talking about a young girl who was being abused um, by her neighbor's son. Her mom had to work many hours and had nowhere to bring her child. So she would ask her neighbor to watch over her kids and had no idea that the son was abusing both her son and her daughter. Is is this, I, I mean, I'm, I'm saying all this and I know that a lot of this might be triggers for parents that are listening, mm. but we have to have these conversations because there might be kids who don't even know what's happening or understand what's going on. I think it's really, really wise that if you are choosing a daycare, there's a number of factors. I think you really need to say what is your um, safety policy around all kinds of safety, including body safety, protective behaviours. Can I see the policy? Um, what does it entail? Have you done any training in body safety? Have you? Um... And then the other point is like who will be in the house? Who is coming through the house? Because if they're in the home, there's going to be people coming in, you know, the, the person's grandpa might drop in or an uncle might drop in. So, you know, you need to question them. And the other point is I would be saying is my child is educated in body safety. This is what it means. Um, this is, you know, this is a poster I have. Could you put that up in your home? And then you'll certainly see what that kind of reaction is. And you can be, you can be very nice about it. You can say, look, I'm not questioning you or anything, but I just want to know that my child is safe. We do these things at home. Um, I would like that also to be implemented in this setting where my child is. So I would be certainly asking them accountability. I love that you're bringing that up because it's just putting, we're, we're getting control, we're taking mm. control of the situation. And rather than hoping they have some sort of system, um, we're, we're showing them that we do have one within our home and we want it to be part of their environment as well. There's, there's lots of research that shows that this body safety education, like that it helps the child understand what it feels like to not feel safe, which is you have a poster as well on that. Yeah. And, 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 you know, to be able to express that and to tell an adult, if you don't feel safe, um, and but I'm assuming not all daycares and early childhood education centers or even elementary schools are are, are not perhaps not talking about this. Um, indeed, it's not and mandatory. I mean here yeah. in Australia uh, we have yeah. uh, ten body uh, sorry ten child safety um, standards that all people who deal with children must adhere to, and this has come in in the last four or five years, and it's made a world of difference here, and they are mandatory. And one of the standards is about giving child, uh, giving the child a voice and making sure that they are participating in the body safety education. That's standard three, I think. So we do have that. And um, I think that's been brilliant. But there's still those holes and gaps as well because, as I was saying to you earlier, kids in uh, special schools and kids who are disabled, I don't think they, I'm not sure that the people who are working with them need to have done body safety and consent training. So where are perpetrators going to go? They're going to go where the holes are. Now, I think in your case with daycare, I think parents can, like you said, take the control back and just make sure they're very aware of what you're doing in your home and asking them what they're doing because you know, we can teach our kids body safety and that's brilliant. And if anything does happen to them, 
they know to say no, but, you know, like it's been on Instagram recently, not all children, not all adults can say no to a larger person and to a perpetrator, but they always know the default is to tell an adult. Now, the adult needs to be educated in body safety to know to believe them. So therefore, it comes back to those people who are working with children to be educated in body safety about grooming, about believing a child, about what to do if there's a disclosure, as well as reinforcing the body safety education they're getting at home. So if the child does come to them or um, is showing signs that, you know, red flags that maybe something's going on, um, then they are educated to be aware of what these red flags and grooming techniques are and to know what to do if they see this happening. So absolutely make them accountable. Ask them, you know, like, I'm sorry, but if you haven't done body safety education, um, if you haven't done consent training, then my child can't be in your daycare centre, really. I mean, I think it's just, it's as, it's as bad as that. Because, again, like I said, people are coming in and out of that person's home and it mightn't be the person who's looking after the child. It might be someone coming through. And, I mean, the kids who are in the daycare, they're very, very young, a lot of them too, like they're babies. So, um, and I don't like to scare parents, but I'm telling you also this can often, sometimes it can be, not often, but it can be a setup where people photograph children and sell those images too. So, you know, I would be very, very careful where I'm sending my child, particularly to an at-home daycare. I'm hoping with your government daycare that there's a lot more checks and ticks and things in you would hope in place. But I lobbied... um, in Australia, we have um, a number of states, and I'm in the state of Victoria. And when our, our previous education minister came in, I lobbied to him to have child safe standards. They weren't there, but I said, you need to do more. And others like me lobbied, and we got them put in. So the more that you talk to your members of parliament about implementing safety standards that all must adhere to who work with children, the more the safer our children will be. Yeah, I I think it really is important for us to start asking more of these mm-hmm. questions and to try to push the government and people to have this available. I remember a couple of years ago we implemented; they called it the sex education program in starting as of daycare. It was basically body safety, but they called it that because mm-hmm. it was across you know um, elementary school. Um, and pa- there was a bit of an outrage from parents because they weren't comfortable with the idea that one somebody who wasn't educated in this field, because it would be their teachers that would just receive some sort of curriculum mm-hmm. and have to talk about this. But a lot of teachers were also not comfortable with yeah. it. Um, but that's in elementary school, so it's I think it really is important. And it comes down to part of the conversation we had last time where ourselves as parents, we might not be comfortable having this conversation with our parents and with our kids. Um, But it is important that we talk to them and we had just to maybe give a summary to parents, but we had spoken about, you know, naming body parts. Mm. And I had read the study as well that showed that just having the knowledge of what your body parts are is a tool to to protect yourself and to be able to communicate if something is off to another adult, right? Like not just calling it random names. Exactly. And also when a child... um if the child can say, 
you know, stop or you can't touch my vagina, you know, the perpetrator's got, oh, my God, this child knows the correct names. This child's educated to tell. So I think, you know, it's very important. And I think a lot of adults, and I'm hoping that's changing because, I mean, I'm in my 60s and I can easily say penis and vagina. It doesn't worry me. (laughs) But I'm really hoping with your generation, Cindy, as well, that this is changing. Like, let's call the body parts what they are. Let's not be embarrassed about sex. Let's, I mean, obviously, when in body safety, we're not teaching anything about sex with children. It's all empowerment, empowering age-appropriate education. But a lot of parents, even calling something like what you were talking about, sex education, they naturally think you're going to be talking about sex with your children. And, and, and that's not the case with body safety. It's just not the case. Later on, you know, there will be sex education, and rightly so, probably when they're turning sort of eight and onwards, absolutely. But right now they're just learning the correct names for their body parts and that no one can touch them in their private parts and all all the things that we talked about last time. But I think parents really need to be comfortable with their own sexuality, with their own body, with their own idea of what um, these conversations are because if if you are fearful of it, if you're not comfortable, you're actually putting your child at risk. So my point is I'm trying to be a little bit strong here, but to get over yourself really and to (laughs) actually say, okay, this is important to protect my child. Mm. I'm going to learn about body safety. I'm going to learn about consent. Mm. I'm going to learn about grooming and disclosures. I'm going to, you know, get it out of my comfort zone. I'm going to learn about this in order to protect my child. Mm. Yeah. You know, I, I find it interesting when I look at your website and I look at all your books, my kids personally love like my body, what I say goes. And I had recommended it to a friend who's even struggling with her child. It looked like a behavioral issue, but they didn't know how to express like, get out of my bubble. You're yeah. in my space. And, yeah. and that led to the, she bought the book and said it changed everything for them. So beyond the body, the, the consent, but just understanding that you do have a space that's yours. Yeah. Um, but I look at the wide range of books that you have and the resources on your website. Again, all the links will be here in the show notes, but you cover body safety and consent and gender equality and respectful relationships, social, emotional intelligence. There's a huge range here and all of that you know, we spoke a lot about the consent last time, but all of these topics fall within they do. protecting our children. They yeah. all, and that is why I sort of expanded out. I began with some secret should never be kept. And then, it, it you know, it, it sort of expanded out because we, we talk about body safety, we talk about consent. But hang on a minute, what about gender equality where one gender thinks they have more power over another and have the right to come inside your body boundary you know so therefore we need gender equity and then I think about um you know how we label our girls and we label our boys and so we're restricting their ability to be who they are and to have a voice because you know if if we stereotype our girls and our boys we're making our girls sweet and smaller and saying sorry a lot and therefore more likely to be victims even as a child, as a teenager, as an adult. So by, you know, giving these labels, they're really quite dangerous rather than, you know, children are just children and they all have rights and they can all be powerful and take up space and, you know, be in charge of who they are. So it all, and then we've got, you know, empathy as well coming in there and talking about your feelings. So it all is part of the one big puzzle for me. But 
as I've said to you before, if if parents could just do one thing, I think the most important thing they can really do, I mean, talking about empathy with your child, is that's okay, that's comfortable. Talking about their feelings, unpacking, you know, I'm angry or I'm sad, you know, that's good, that's comfortable. Gender equality starts to get a little bit funny. Some people think I'm just, I, I put up a recently a post, I don't know if you saw it, about how they'd labelled a telescope with a boy on it and then over just on the other side of the aisle was a little unicorn and a girl dolly all in pink and it was like, you know, what's going on? And I was blown away. You know, I probably had 40 comments on Facebook and I'd say that five of them saw what I was on about and 35 didn't and told me to get a life <laughs> and, you know, get over yourself. Anyway, point is, if the parents, it's a hard conversation, it's a hard conversation mm. but it's an important mm. one. Parents, if they can do one mm. thing, please just teach your kids body safety. Go through those five body safety rules. Um, even if you can't afford a book of mine or whatever, just download that poster for free. And just because you never know, it's like I've said before, it's like wearing a seatbelt. You hope you put it on your child every time they get in the car and you hope you never, ever have to use it but it's there just in case. And I think it's exactly the same with body safety. And also, again, reiterate, to educate yourself around these topics as well. If anything, like you said, maybe the, the most important part is the body safety part, but if you are uncomfortable speaking about gender inequality mm -hmm. or like talking talking about those issues and seeing a picture and something makes you uncomfortable about that, then just dig into it yourself, right? Before you have mm -hmm. the conversation with your child, because I, I experience very similar things when, you know, I'll talk about like, you know, toys not having a gender mm -hmm. and, and children just like, why are we labeling that? It, it, it's, it's something that bothers me as well, where, you know, it, it doesn't have to be a pink unicorn. My sons love pink unicorns. Who cares? Like, it's just about giving them what they want as children. And there is there are still heavy conversations that can happen with friends and family members in terms of like that pink is a girl thing. And, and it just boggles my mind because we've learned so much and we've moved I thought, <laughs> past all of that, but it's still uncomfortable. So I would recommend the parents not avoid that conversation, mm. but maybe look into the work that you have and start having the conversations with people until they're comfortable enough to have it with their child. Well, I mean, exactly. And I, I did, you know, eight and nine posters. I did eight posters on boys and I, I'm trying to break down the stereotypes and it was like boys who twirl become men who dance. Boys who cook become amazing chefs. Boys who nurture dolls become fantastic dads. You know, girls who build with Lego become architects, whatever. I'm, I'm just trying to, these posters, I'm just trying to break down what we know and the stereotypes that are constantly reinforced because even though you think, oh, no, my daughter will pick that telescope anyway because whether it's got a boy or a girl on it, well, actually, no, she'll probably go, you know, the more she sees the science things with boys on the package, the more she thinks that's not for me. I go across here to the pink side and that's not okay. It's just not okay. And we have to demand better from our, our manufacturers of toys and children's clothes and things like that because it really is outdated really to my mind. But I, I feel like sometimes we're going backwards. <laughs> Like all the gender reveal yeah. <laughs> parties and, you know, I just like, really? 
Because when I I had children, like I had children so long ago, my eldest is 29, but, you know, she was in little overalls and riding boots because we live on a farm and that was really practical and, um, you know, we there wasn't, it just didn't, I just didn't seem to be so many gender stereotypes Mm. around, but maybe I lived in a bubble then too. Yeah, I don't remember my own. Like, I, I, I do remember myself, like, growing up in elementary school. I loved sports and I was, I hated dresses. <laughs> That's who I was. And I remember holidays, like, my mom would say, like, you have to be in a dress. Like, you're, you're the girl I bought you. You have your brother. He's in the pants. You wear the dress. And it was arguments every single time. And I was so uncomfortable with them. And I would wear them and I, I would mope and I wouldn't talk to anybody. And I was just so mad. Um, and then I was labeled as a tomboy because I was playing the sports and I wasn't interested in chatting and having those conversations that the girls were having. I wanted to go play football and baseball with the guys and and be there. So there were, I think there were in those days, except like, and then the labeling, I think even now my, my kids were playing outside once with the, with some friends and the young girl gave her Barbie doll or doll, whatever, to one of my sons. And the father said, he stepped in and he's like, no, he's a boy. He doesn't play with dolls. So I think it's still, I don't know if it steps backwards or, or, but I think it's still an important conversation we have to have. And when people ask me who I've been told, like, who cares? Why would you have to talk about that with a child? And it's not about having the conversation sometimes. It's just about not saying certain things to them, to them. And if, those stereotypes are embedded in us, sometimes we can't stop ourselves. So it's just about really allowing them to know that they can do whatever they want. Like it's, yeah. And Cindy, I think, you know, even the word tomboy is is not okay. It's just Cindy being Mm. Cindy, who she is and the choice that she made. It doesn't mean that you're heading towards being a boy or what is a boy? What Mm. is a girl? Like we just, they're just kids who have interests and loves and passions and want to be themselves. So let's mm-hmm. let's do that because, as I said, if we put people in a box and we and we start to sort of mold them into that box, girls are like this, boys are like that. You know, let alone people who are non-binary and all the rest. But what it says, mm-hmm. particularly for women, is you take up less space. This one here can have more space, and that is dangerous in domestic and family violence. We know gender inequality is the basis for domestic and family violence, where one gender feels they are more powerful than the other and, and act accordingly. So you might think it's, people might think it's a silly conversation to have, but it does have consequences. And they say, I can't remember how young it is, but kids start to pick up stereotypes like from like two or maybe even younger, yeah, I think it's, it's young. it's, I'm yeah. not even sure, and then they start to become into those stereotypes and then they're constantly reinforced with families, you know, Christmas holidays, the gifts that are given to them, and mm-hmm. it's just constantly reinforced. You know, little girl, you're so sweet, you're a cutie, what a princess you are, your daddy's princess. Mm-hmm little boy oh you're so strong Mm -hmm. you know you're going to be a footballer wow you know and there it is it's there (laughs) it's true so we Mm. yeah it it drives i I want to come back (laughs) i know (laughs) 
I, I want to come back on one of the things you touched on before in terms of taking a picture. Mm. Um, I recently posted about, there's a, a, I don't know if it's a new company, but they're trying to work on the internet part of it. They're called Thorn in the US and they, mm. they had this survey and they interviewed kids and teenagers and they found that 25% of children between the ages of nine and 12 had been, I want to say this properly, I wrote it down, um, had been asked to um, give a show a picture of themselves, a naked picture of themselves, ses, uh, self self produce. That was the word. Self produce a picture of their body. Nine to twelve years old, twenty five percent. And this is why we need to talk. Well, I know we started talking about daycares, and we'll talk about schools in a second, but. It doesn't matter where they are because now if kids have phones and have access to the internet, and I've spoken to a young cousin of mine who um, plays video games, and he said that there are adults on these video games and they are saying very dirty and like things mean things to the people that are playing. It doesn't matter if you're nine years old and you're on this video game, they're talking yeah. to you. Yeah. How do we go as a parent without without fearing and stopping them from using all this technology how, how can we be more safe you know about that wow it's it is really really bad out there um it's really bad so i guess what i would say is from the beginning be your child's safe person so from that time when they start to talk to you and tell you things never be shocked never be shame them always be that person that they can come to about anything, anything they see, anything that worries them. Um, you know, keep your bland face when all sorts of things come out about school and that. So right from the minute that they are starting to communicate with you, be the safe person and have these conversations. You know, talk openly about your body safety and your consent from a young age. And then say, you know, that Later on, as they get older in, and there are phones at school, they may, your child might not have a phone, but the other kids do, that you may see, you know, pictures of people naked and the private parts. And to please tell me if this happens, you never, ever get into trouble. You, It's never, ever going to be your fault. Just please tell me. And no shame or guilt, but this is the world we live in. We live in a world where you might see these images or people might ask you for images and you need to come to me and because this is this is not something that you need to handle on your own. It is something we handle together as a family and, and certainly as my safe person because other than that, I am not really sure what you can do because it's not if your child sees pornography or is asked for a nude, it's when. And we know the average age for um, boys in particular to see uh, a pornography is 11. And it's very addictive. And, and if they don't tell someone that what they've seen or the shock of it, you know, they will keep looking. So I think, you know, that is probably the best advice. And, and there's another thing, there's a box. So when your child gets a phone, there's called a safety box or something, and everybody puts their phone in their box at night it's a char in charge box and so when the kids go to bed at you know 8 8 30 everyone puts their phone in the in charge box so therefore your kids at 11 12 13 don't have their phone in their room talking to whoever video game is looking at whatever 
I think I would definitely be getting one of those boxes. I like that. I like that idea of at least they're not hiding and in their room, not hiding, but they're they're alone. Alone. Because at that point, yeah. Because, you know, we know kids have suicided because they've done what has been asked of them and then it happened to be an adult at the end or or somebody who um, just a, a really awful bullying person and then shared the pictures around the school. So this is this has to be sort of nicked in the bud straight away, being that, like, please talk to me about anything. You'll never shock me. Um, you know, I'm here for you. And there's a lot of, you know, social media wasn't around for me, but it would have been around probably as you were growing up. And, you know, it's become a bigger, bigger world and, and we need to handle this together. You can't handle mm-hmm. I don't want you handling this on your own ever. Truly, Cindy. And it comes back. Yeah, it comes back to having those discussions and being proactive and not waiting until it happens. Oh, I think it's, no, no, it's, no. it seems to be the reoccurring. Yeah, yeah absolutely. We, regardless of our child's age. Yep. It's, it's, you know, so it goes from, I, I guess we're moving from young kids where we have to really assess their environment before putting in the, them in that environment, but we can't do that with older kids. So it's really about giving them that safe space to come back to us and talking to us about things that might be weird or different to yeah. them or, or intriguing even perhaps, right? Curiosity. Like something I mean, that, yeah, that's exactly. what you're all about. So, you know, if mm. we if we from very young age, if from a young age we are always encouraging them to be curious and anything they don't understand, you know, if I don't know, we'll work it out together, we'll look it up together, just being curious. But then that will also lead into as they get into, you know, a puberty and, and talk other talks at school with other kids, then they might come and talk to you about that as well. But other than that, I... I I really think it's a it's a major problem. So yeah, are we looking at the same approach with older kids that are using phones versus, let's say, early elementary school? Mm. The reason why I'm bringing mm. it, now we're kind of jumping back and forth between ages, but I'm just curious to know if it's the same sort of preventative matter. And the reason why I'm asking is because there were two events in September that really shocked me as a parent. I followed the mom groups on Facebook Mm. for local, you know, uh, for Montreal. And there was one near the beginning of the school year where uh, a mother's daughter who was around, I think she said eight years old, um, was cornered by two 10 year old boys and put into, brought into the bathroom and told to put her pants mm-hmm. down. They didn't touch her. They didn't do anything, but she said her daughter was cornered and, and uh, told to expose her body. That was one event. And then later in September in a different school, another mother said that her six year old daughter was, um, approached by two other six year old boys in a hallway mm-hmm. and they told her, we're going to break your vagina. And started kicking her and put her down to the ground and kicked her breasts and kicked her, aiming for her private body parts. This, to me, is scary and alarming as a parent. And again, I, I'm not sharing all this to scare parents. But when I when I tell sometimes, like either my own mom or my mother-in-law, they're always like, it's impossible that this can be happening. How can this happen in our own home? But I think we need to keep having these conversations because they are happening. And it just reminds us that we cannot avoid these conversations with their kids so all this to say 
Young kids, we assess their environment, we teach them about their body. Older kids, we make sure that we make them feel safe. In the middle there, and you know, in early elementary school, what are we doing? Are we is it a mix of boundaries and and understanding their bo- their body and what's right and what's wrong and what feels good or what doesn't? Well, in, uh, mixed with you know. Okay, so in that yeah. case, definitely those kids have been seeing pornography. Um, they've definitely been had. Um, you know, kids kids don't know this kind of stuff without being shown this kind of stuff. They just don't at six or eight. So they those kids have um, been either shown pornography because that can be a grooming technique also by a perpetrator uh, saying this is kind of normal, this is what you do, or they've chanced upon it on their phone. Um, so it's so traumatic for them what kids are seeing, the way women are treated in pornography particularly women, it's so traumatic for them that they they start and and if they're not able to tell anyone or, you know, straight away, they will play it out. They will act it out on other children. So that's why we're seeing so much more child on child. I mean, usually we used to say there was a two-year gap and they would just see if kids were saying, oh, show me your vagina or whatever, they were just exploring. But no, now we know that kids are seeing more and more really hardcore porn and they're play, playing it out. So I think what we need to do is we need to actually ask our teachers to step up. This happened in both cases, didn't it, at school? This happened at school? At a yeah. school, different schools. Okay, different yeah. schools. So we need our school system to step up. This is no longer, mm-hmm. oh, maths is important and, you know, literacy is the most important thing. No, this well-being of our children is the most important they need to step up and be teaching body safety and consent. So, and saying, if you see pictures of private parts, if someone shows you pictures of private parts and you get those yucky feelings inside and you know it's not right, tell one of your trusted people straight away. Now, if their school had maybe done that within that system and had been teaching that, you know, lesson year after year, those little boys who saw the pornography may well have told their teacher at six that they'd seen some pictures of private parts and they got their yucky feelings, So, and even the eight. So we need them to step up and not say, oh, that's not my role, that's parents' role. Well, these sorts of things are outplaying on other children at school. So step up, you know, look into Erin's law or, you know, do, do what they're doing in the States or what we're doing here in Australia, which is teaching body safety and set in schools. So because, um, yeah, these kids are not getting this education at home, they need to be getting it somewhere. So I think in that case it would have been, it, it may not have even happened had they had this kind of education. You know, I love that you're bringing this up because I, I don't know what happened in the school, but I I know people that work in schools and I, I feel that the, the step after this is to reprimand or to have consequences for behavioral issues, right, in the child. It's what I keep hearing over and over again. And I don't know in these particular cases, but I've heard that before. And I think we had spoken about that last time where I had, I was curious about like what some of the red flags are that a child might be getting sexually abused at home or might have experienced something, you know, that is, is alarm should be alarming to teachers or, or educators or early childhood educators. And that's one of them. So I think it just brings this back up where those boys perhaps, you know, were, were told that they weren't behaving properly, but I wonder who looked into 
what was going on in their homes. And I mean that, and and we have to do it. We have to. And the last thing those kids need, actually, the little girls, and it was girls, were traumatized. Obviously, you know, but they told. They must have told a parent, or or somehow they told, so they can go for some counseling, and they they all will um, be nurtured. I would hope, and heal in time. The boys, I think, are also victims of something. They're just not naughty boys. Like at that age, they are victims of something and they too have seen trauma and it has to be addressed. So by going, reprimanding them and telling them they're naughty boys, that is only making them more confused, guilty and shamed. And what they need is like someone to sit down and say, like, what is going on for you? Like, what is happening for you? Um, but, of course, at this stage they could be threatened not to tell and all the rest of it that goes on if they are being sexually abused. But, if you know, if they've been seeing something just incidentally on the phone, you might say you're not going to get into trouble. You know, we all know that there's a lot of um, pictures of private paths on our phones. We Sometimes we just come across them, you know, have you. But, you know... And they need to know what they did was completely not right. And, but, you know, that's sort of the horse is bolted, <laughs> if you know what I mean, for those mm. six and mm. eight. I mean, wow. Yeah. They should have been it's having, young. it's young. They should have been having the body mm. safety education at school. Yeah. And, and it just highlights that we're not having these discussions yeah, enough not. and we're not pushing the education enough, nearly no, enough. No, you're not. Because if they would have had it, yeah, in the preschool and in the daycares, and now in elementary school, where we've just implemented this new program, this shouldn't be happening. So I, I think, you know, I'm I'm so happy we had this discussion because now beyond teaching our kids these mm. these important um, body consent rules, and and we have to start looking at environments, and we have to start looking at what we're doing as a society and what the system looks Absolutely. like. Because if we don't change that, nothing will change for our kids in terms of protecting them. Well, Cindy, ten years ago, we were pretty much in the same place. Like I went in with my book, Some Secrets, to a kindergarten to show them and the, the woman told me to get out, get out of this kindergarten with that book. Ten years, 11 years down the track with the child safety standards, every school now needs to be teaching body safety and consent. We have respect for relationships in our curriculum as well, which is all about consent. So things have really changed. And a, a woman who she emailed me she's um works in the uh, child protection she's a detective in the child protection she said in the last couple of years she's seen a, a massive increase of kids coming forward about what's happening to them and it's been really fantastic so you can you, you have to stir up the system you have to be your child's advocate you have to go to the school and say are you teaching body safety and if they say oh no no we're too busy it's like you're not too busy this is you know, look what's mm -hmm. happening in your media, you know, you need to. Exactly, exactly. Mm. I guess to end our conversation, mm. if a parent's child, I'm thinking about these two young girls in elementary school if, or yep. these kids in daycare that are, you know, opening up to their parents, what do we do now? That happens. And, and what are the next steps for parents? You mentioned healing before, but what can a parent okay, do? Okay, well, um, there will be, um, we have a place called Sakaza, which is um, a place where you can take your child and there'll be psychologists who help you with the healing process with the child. And, you know, um, I think you can't do it alone. 
personally, if, if anything had happened to my child when they were young like that, that kind of incident, I think I would definitely be uh, seeking help from uh, a sexual assault unit for children and being uh, led by them. I think my book, Some Secrets Should Never Be Kept, is often used with children who, with psychologists, who have been abused because they kind of understand it happened to that other little boy and it was not his fault. It was never, ever his fault. So that's often a really good story. And I also looked up um, another one, a couple, I think. Let's see where I wrote it down. Um Bear with me for a second. But it was called Sarah's Sarah's Waterfall, I think. Oh, yes, Sarah's Waterfall came recommended when I looked this up. And M-O-S-A-C, which is Mothers of Sexually Abused Children, there was some information on that. And there was also a little workbook called No More Hurt, a child's workbook about recovering from abuse. Now, the other thing you can do is... Um, I have a book there called Feelings. So you could actually just, you know, check in with your child. Like in this particular book, there's a sort of a check-in page with your child and you can say, just talk about like what colour is your feeling today? You know, where do you feel it in your body? Just checking in with them to see how they're travelling and how they're going. You're always here for them, giving them the vocab and the words to say how they're feeling. I'm not, I feel sick today. I'm sad today. Okay, what can we do to, you know, help you with that? Maybe you need to have Teddy right now. Just checking in with them. So that would be my advice, but certainly I would be going to see um, a child psychologist who, who specializes in um, assault and abuse. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you for sharing all that with us today. And I think it's something we'll have to keep checking in on together and, and, yeah. and coming back to that because we spoke about, like I said, the consent, but now we have to look at the bigger picture and, and how we can continue to protect our children from different angles, right? The environment and themselves and, and ourselves too. We had spoken about last time, I think some parents or adults don't believe the kids when they tell them, um, you know, about what's happening. And I know somebody who's a therapist in, in a high school and the the girl in high school was acting very sexual towards mm. other kids in a way that made them uncomfortable. They came to speak to the ther the psychologist of the school and the psychologist found out that this girl had been um, um, touched inappropriately by her um, Taekwondo coach and that she had told the mom and the mom said, it's fine. Just let it go. It's not a big deal. Just like, let's not make a big deal about this. And again, I'm bringing all these things and these situations up because perhaps there's somebody listening who is experiencing this. Maybe it's a parent who didn't realize what they were saying or doing, but we cannot let this go. We have to start the work when it comes to yes. healing and, and repairing you, the child. You definitely yeah. need to educate. You know, we have a duty of care to educate ourselves around body safety and what to look for in grooming because it's very subtle and what to, to do if the child does disclose. And like you said, red flags where they are acting very sexually. And so, I, I mean, I've got heaps of blogs on that on the website. And I do have a book called Body Safety Education, for a guide for parents, which will also help. But the, and the other yeah. thing before we go is it is coming into holiday season, um, festive season. So I think it is a really good time to go over your body safety rules with your kids because people will be coming in and out of your house, all different sorts of people. You know, the, you'll be talking with friends and getting a drink or whatever and say, kids, go off, go off. 
Now, as we were talking about sure. more child-on-child sexual mm-hmm. abuse, plus also there's always adult perpetrators yeah. around as well. So this is a really perfect time to go over your body safety rules with your children. Keep your radar out. Oh, the kids have gone off by themselves mm-hmm. in a room. Just go in and check every now and again. Just keep mm-hmm. that radar up. And also I would put the poster on your refrigerator, um, the body safety rules poster, so everyone coming into your house over the Christmas season knows your children are educated to tell. So that will clear uh, send yeah. a very clear message. Um, and also about the consent and the hugging. Allow your child to greet people however they want to greet people and not mm. force them to hug anyone. And we've talked about that, the reasons behind yeah. that as well. Thank you. And I want to give you a moment to also share your new book that you shared ah. with me before uh, that you're working on before we forget. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so we've got a new edition coming out of My Body, What I Say Goes. And um, up there, oh, over here. While oh, you're looking my- for the next one, <laughs> There's we have two of your books and there's one that shows like the strong stance with the arm out. Um, I, yeah, <laughs> that's super, it. And, super, and my kids super um super cape sort of stance. Yes, I know what you mean. Yes, exactly. But my kids absolutely love that, and they do that together with each other. Like, no, I said no, <laughs> and and it's just it's it's just about being in the bubble because they're they're young, right? But it's enough. It just shows us that they can be very young and they can learn these sort of skills that'll help them later. Now, obviously, they were using it together, but being able to do that and protect their space and their body. And exactly, just, I just wanted and, to share that. Yeah. And when they, you know, maybe they're at school and someone comes into their space or bullies them, they can do that. And also teenagers, mm-hmm. you know, they're going to need mm-hmm. that when they're teenagers, that empowerment to say no. I said no, you know, so practice, practice, practice. Absolutely. Yeah. All right, so just Thank quickly, <laughs> this is called yes, Included. Yes. So it's a book mm-hmm. for all children about inclusion, diversity, disability, equality and empathy and how this book came about and why I wrote this book because my youngest daughter, she's 24, and she works in disability with children. And um, she, there was a little boy she looks after. He has cerebral palsy. And uh, he was watching all the other kids playing in the playground and just nobody played with him. Nobody included him in the game. And then um, his ball, she was playing with his ball, and his ball sort of went off. And one little boy came back and brought the ball back to him and I thought, I want all children to be that child that comes back with the ball and says, hey, I'll play ball with you. So that's what that book is all about. I love that. I'm going to add that to the Christmas <laughs> list and the holiday list for the kids. Oh, it's so, thank you. Um, and I know you've covered uh, Indigenous be- yes. uh, families as well or children, right? Yes. Because I, I worked in the mental health field before I, I left it to do to work on Kiris Neuron. And I know that the rates of abuse and, and, and you know, uh, even suicide for what we were mm. doing are re- really high in those communities. Yeah. Um, so, so you've addressed it. Right yeah. There. In Australia, we are working with a First Nations illustrator and we're mm. adapting this book to be mm. illustrated by a First Nations Aboriginal woman. And that will be going out to, um, there's a fundraiser with an organisation called Child Safe, and that will be going out to lots and lots of Indigenous kids. Um, so very excited about doing that as well. Thank you. Are all your books available both in the US and Canada? I know I bought them through Amazon. Mm. Is that available everywhere? Yes. So we sell through Amazon. Um, we love to sell through our website, which is better for us, but the postage is really expensive. 
So I understand that if people want to buy through Amazon, that's fine because, you know, we're in Australia, we're down under and the postage is more expensive than the book sometimes. But good to know. I know we have a lot of listeners from Australia, so at least oh. if they're there, they know they can buy it from you. But if we're anywhere else, then we could we can we can purchase yeah, it off yeah, of. Uh, that's right. Okay, that's as long as we can get the books in our home. Thank you, Janine, for ta- for talking with me again today. Thanks, Cindy. Thanks. I hope this podcast episode was valuable to you. Please take a moment to share it with a friend, to rate and review the podcast, and follow us on Instagram, curious underscore neuron, or or subscribe to our YouTube channel. And I will see you in the new year. Thank you for being part of this community and for listening to my podcast. It means the world to me. Like I said, I'm sitting here in my basement and um, just knowing that you're out there listening, I hope it helps you become the parent that you want to be. Thank you again, and I'll see you next year. Bye.